0: Today's episode of the Roger Hoover Podcast is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And the Roger Hoover Podcast is proud to be part of the River City Rogue Podcast Network. For the best local blogs, vlogs, and podcasts on sports culture and entertainment, head to rivercityrogue.com. Bold views from the bold city and beyond. Hello again, everybody. I'm Roger Hoover, and welcome to this episode of the Roger Hoover Podcast. I'm recording this on Monday, January 8th, 2018. Happy New Year. First episode of the podcast in the new year. I'm with you from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where most people are concerned about a football game that is happening tonight in Atlanta, Georgia, as the Alabama Crimson Tide football team take on the Georgia Bulldogs for what will be a really exciting national championship game and conclusion to the college football playoff coming up tonight. But I hope everyone's doing well. I hope the first week of the twenty 2018 year has been solid for everybody it certainly has been good for me it's been very busy since we last had an episode with Stephanie Drake's interview but things have been really good really can't complain with how the year has started first of all for Alabama women's basketball Going 2-1 and one in conference play has been fun to see, and they have not lost so far in 2018. Did lose to Missouri on December 31st on New Year's Eve Day, but after that, back-to-back road victories for the Crimson Tide on Thursday at Florida. That snapped what had been a seven-game losing streak to the Gators, and then... Yesterday, we were in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and Alabama picked up a victory there, snapping a six-game losing streak to the Razorbacks. So, really good things happening for Christy Curry's basketball team. They sit at 2-1 and one to this point in SEC play, and that's pretty good considering how tough the SEC has been so far. There's a lot of parity in the league, and Alabama's in the mix with a lot of teams that have winning records at this point. So, that's certainly good to see. Next up for the Crimson Tide is LSU coming up on Thursday night. At home here in Tuscaloosa so my travel this week is actually pretty light and then we will go to Starkville coming up this weekend to take on fifth ranked Mississippi State so a lot of excitement there Personally, it was a really good New Year's Eve and uh, New Year's Eve weekend, really. Got to have my girlfriend, Lansie in town for Tuscaloosa, which doesn't happen too much here. So that was uh, certainly a lot of fun uh, celebrating the new year with a lot of friends here in Tuscaloosa. And now just everyone's in a good mood, uh, hoping to watch some really good football tonight and see if the Crimson Tide can bring home another national championship to Tuscaloosa. It's kind of funny, I joked with Lansie about it. We got to see um, the national champion play in person this year since she and I went to the Alabama Ole Miss game in Tuscaloosa and then she and I also went to the Florida Georgia game in Jacksonville for the first time as Georgia just thumped Florida so uh, it's going to be cool to see uh, two teams I know really well get to play on a stage like this and I've got a ton of friends that are going tonight and I just look forward to kicking up on the couch and watching it here in T-Town. I'm also very excited for the Jacksonville Jaguars. How about the victory yesterday for the Jags? We talked about uh, the Jaguars a couple episodes ago with Mark Brunel, but really cool to see the city get rewarded like they did yesterday with a victory over the Buffalo Bills in the wildcard round of the playoffs. Now they get to travel to Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers' site of one of the best games in Jaguars history uh, in the 2007 season playoffs when they knocked off the Steelers up there, and hopefully that can happen again for the the Jaguars to reach the AFC Championship game against either the Titans or the Patriots. But it's really cool to see the NFL's focus shift all to Jacksonville yesterday and coming up either later this week or maybe early next week we'll be able to visit with uh, Blythe Brumleaf who is a huge Jaguars fan and uh, has been one of the more vocal fans in recent years and has become a media personality in Jacksonville. So we'll get to hear from her very soon all about what it was like to be at Everbank Field for a playoff game and then see the Jaguars win that playoff game. So very excited for the Jaguars and just really hope they can get a victory on Sunday in Pittsburgh. Well, it's the start of the new year. It's cold outside, and I figured this is a good time to start releasing some more baseball episodes. And uh, throughout last season, I mentioned this on a few podcasts before, but we had a lot of episodes that I recorded, guests that I had on the Jumbo Shrimp Network that I wasn't able to Play on the podcast just then, just because of the nature of the work of the baseball season. But as we're in the off season, January is kind of the toughest month because you know there's still absolutely no baseball. At least February, you get into college baseball, and that's always exciting. And then March, spring training. And then, of course, the season for the Jumbo Shrimp will start in April. But uh, here during the month of January, I want to play a lot of these episodes uh, with people we talk to during the baseball season. And I think you're really going to enjoy today's episode with Vince Coleman. Uh, Vince Coleman has had a great major league career, uh, was a two-time all-star, played in the big leagues for 13 seasons, most notably with the St. Louis Cardinals, and he's a native of Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, the Jumbo Shrimp last year on July 1st honored him with a bobblehead, not in a Cardinals or a Mets uniform, but in his high school baseball uniform from his playing days at Raines High School. It was a great bobblehead of him sliding into a base. He was known as one of the best base stealers. And all of baseball. So, uh, we really enjoyed having Vince Coleman come to the baseball grounds throughout a ceremonial first pitch. And I was scheduled to have him on the radio during one of the innings of the game. But as it turned out, this interview you're going to hear was recorded during a rain delay. We took up an entire rain delay with this conversation with Vince Coleman. Uh, you get to hear a lot of his stories about not only growing up in Jacksonville, playing in the major leagues, but what he's up to now. And I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation with a Jacksonville baseball legend, Vince Coleman. time during this rain delay. We're proud to welcome Vince to the radio booth. Vince, how you doing? Welcome.
1: I'm outstanding. Thank you for having me back here in my hometown where it all began for me.
0: And of course, you went on to have a great career, two-time All-Star, National League Rookie of the Year in 1985. And uh, first of all, your Reigns High School bobblehead. Did you like how it all looked in, the, <laughs> in that Reigns uniform?
1: They could have done a better job. I mean, it, it's displayed everything that... Uh, uh, for me, during that time and my era of, of, of me still in the base, and uh, that's where it all started for me. And the, they did a great job, and uh, the fans was very happy with it. So the most importantly, and so uh, it came across very well.
0: And what do you remember about playing high school baseball in Jacksonville at that time? Well,
1: it was very competitive. I mean, coming up, being in the tenth grade, the thing about myself going to range is that I, I was cut off the baseball team from Paxson. And therefore, I couldn't go to Paxton Senior High because the same players was there. Then, may have I got cut there again. So I transferred over to Rains High School. Uh, but I took it personal. I, I, I played every day with a vendetta that I couldn't wait to play Paxton. <laughs> and then the first time playing Paxton, I I hit a grand slam. So um, it was very exciting from that day forward. Um, point on. I mean, I can't. I, I won. Um, then went. Then wasn't state. I didn't win the state, but. You know, I was all-conference for two years there. I was pitcher, shortstop. I never played outfield until I got into pro ball, but I was known as a shortstop.
0: And Storm Davis grew up in Jacksonville here as well. He went yes. to University of Christian. I believe you guys are both class of 1979. He said he remembered seeing you when he was with University of Christian. you remember him at all from those days? I don't remember him back during that time. Yeah. I only
1: met Storm when he was playing over in uh, San Diego, Baltimore, yeah. one yeah. of those National League teams over there. I remember crossing paths with him during that time. Um, but uh, the arch rivals was against Reebol, and I played against some pretty good ball players. Uh, uh, then you went over across the bridge, played Terry Parker, Ed White, um, Sound of Wood. I mean, so it was very competitive baseball during that era. Uh, but yeah, but I, I I say that we had a lot of good baseball players, but none of them was drafted, and none of them went on to play college ball. What I and I, for some reason uh, professional organizations didn't draft as much here as they do in California because I think we, we they, they missed out on a lot of talent that was here in Jacksonville.
0: And um, did you feel like you were overlooked as a high school player?
1: Of course I wasn't offered a scholarship you know so I walked on at Florida A&M but I fl- walked on at Florida A&M as a punter place kicker and that's how I w- was enrolled in school and then the, uh, Hank Aaron's son was playing center field and I went out for the baseball team there and and they moved Hank Aaron to first base and put me in center field, and the rest was history.
0: Rest was history. What are some of your favorite moments from uh, Florida A&M, both football and baseball?
1: I mean, remember uh, one day, against particular against Alabama State. Uh, it was like a rain, rain out uh, because Florida, I say rain out because my, my scout told me that, uh, Marty Meyer, that the only reason he came to this game because Florida State played a day game and it was raining out and he had nothing else to do, so he decided to come to a Florida A&M game, which was right across the street. It was playing Alabama State, and I stole seven bases that night. So seven. <laughs> then he put me on the radar, and that was my sophomore year. And the next year uh, I was drafted by the Phillies in the 20th round. Uh, but at that time I was All-American punter, I was All-American baseball player, so I'm juggling, really don't know which way, that uh, what, what was my future. Uh, because I had a cousin that was playing professional football, and my ambition really was to be a punter and place kicker. And I was, Invited into the mini camp with the Washington Redskins in 1982 during mini camp, and they brought me in because I ran the fastest time in camp was 4:240 and um, 4:29, and um, they told me they was gonna make me a wide receiver. And <laughs> I said, No, 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 no! no. Uh, they hit too hard. <laughs> I want to punt. Um, but you know how Lord worked in mysterious ways was that um, in 1982, if I had was, had stayed with with the Washington Redskins, they went on to win the Super Bowl that year. But I elect—I was drafted in the 10th round by the St. Louis Cardinals, and they went on to win the World Series that year. So I had it both ways. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you made a pretty solid choice. And uh, what was it like for you being a minor league player trying to work your way up to the big leagues?
1: That was to show on a day-to-day basis that you know when you're in high school or you're in college, you don't play baseball every day. You play maybe once or twice a week. But now you have to prepare... Uh, this is your job. This is what you have chosen to do. So you have to change your habits. You have to change uh, by getting your rest, not going out every night, uh, not drinking. Uh, uh, um, You have to eat properly because, you know, once you set a bar of an expectation of being a base steal or a good hitter, you have to have that same uh, attitude every day in and day out. So my attitude was coming to the ballpark every day uh, with a positive attitude and would put forth 110 percent and see where, you know, the Lord would take me from there. Uh, but minor league in Macon, Georgia, was the best ever. We had a great teammates to this day. Tom Bocock, that bat at second, was was my best friend, and uh, that was important to make the guy who bat second your best friend. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I went on to steal 145 bases in 112 games there. So we had a lot of phenomenal. Marty Peavy, he's a Triple A manager right now. He batted third, and we. You know, when you're in the minor leagues, you make eleven dollars a day, and you pool your money together after the games. And you, 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 you so one guy buy orange juice, one buy milk with peanut butter and jelly. And but you had fun. You played cards all night long, but you talked about baseball every day. Um, how are we gonna get better? And that's the key about playing minor league baseball is how to get better and how you're going to make it to the major leagues.
0: And when you were coming up in the 80s, still the man that had the record for most stolen bases is Lou Brock, a Cardinals legend. Did you get to meet him a lot and talk to him about his philosophy of steel bases?
1: Yes, Lou was in the locker room every day. That's the great thing about being in the Cardinals uniform. You had all the stem usual Red Chain Deans, Lou Brock, Bob Gibson. They was there every day um, in the locker room, a great inspiration to have. Um, so that was to my advantage. Uh, you know, Lou, gave me a lot of tips, uh, a lot of insight on how to read pitches, how to dissect pitches. And I used it to my advantage. Uh, and, and Lou would uh, give me a big compliment and because I was very aggressive. I would steal third base a lot. And he told me that he didn't steal third base that much because he was a great hitter. <laughs> he you know, he had 3,000 hits in the big league. So, um, but I had to use it to my advantage every time I got on base to put ourselves in scoring position. And I was blessed by being First of all, with the Cardinals, but then playing for Whitey Herzog. Whitey Herzog never put the red light on us. He let us go out and manage ourselves. So it was just like me uh, playing in Scott Park here as (laughs) as a kid. And that's the way he made us feel uh, that we had no pressures on him. We knew how to play defense. We knew how to pitch. And that's the only thing he demanded from his pitchers is that they throw strikes and we play good defense. And then we got on base. We just stay aggressive.
0: Yeah, you stayed very aggressive your rookie year in 85, stealing 110 bases, and season was going along pretty well for you guys. You made it to the playoffs, had a really great team, but you had a really unfortunate incident that involved something as we look out the window. We're <laughs> seeing right now the rain tarps being rolled up. What can you tell us about just before that ball game, you're getting ready to go, and all of a sudden, here comes the rain tarp, and you had an injury.
1: Yes, I mean, that was a, a, a unfortunate thing that happened at the time. They don't... They discontinued that type of tarp. Automated, they, yeah. It was automated yeah. to roll out, and it's being controlled by a guy down there in right field, and, and Terry Pellner and I was standing right on the foul line right there at first base, and, you know, if it hadn't gotten me, it would have gotten Terry, uh, but it was just one of those unfortunate freak accidents that broke my tibia, and I wasn't able to participate in the World Series, something that I worked hard for. But, you know, I was fortunate enough or lucky enough, I should say, to go back again in 1987s because a lot of guys played for – Fifteen to eighteen years, and never get that opportunity to play. Uh, but it was—it wasn't a life-threatening injury. Uh, it was an injury that kind of told me for a minute, but it kind of scared me to death. You know, when they say that you know a ton is land on top of you, you don't feel anything when you fear your life. That is so true uh, because as it was rolling up my leg, I didn't feel anything because I was scared. Uh, but then when they stopped it to re-roll it back off me, uh, then I was okay. Not knowing that I couldn't play that night, I still was able to walk, but I just couldn't uh, put any pressure on it. And we took an MRI and it found that it was a, just a little crack, uh, hairline fracture in there.
0: And you've got to be proud that it really didn't affect you the next couple of years when you're able to steal over 100 bases a year once again. Three years in a row stealing over 100 bases, the only man that's done that.
1: I'm very lucky and very proud and and, uh, i worked very hard and uh, like I say I have uh, great teammates that allowed me and and, and a great manager that you know gave me the opportunity and he saw something that was special and he never stopped me from doing it I mean that was my ticket to success and uh, it takes a certain mentality to want to go out there and achieve that every day in and day out and Uh, Stealing bases was my forte. I found a niche that I could feed off of. I was blessed by having a guy named Don Blassingame that gave me some insight on how to dissect pitchers. And and with that being said, you know, it it wasn't a pitcher up there that if I did my homework going into that ball game, I knew that I could steal bases once I got on base.
0: And, of course, you led the National League in stolen bases from 1985 to 1990, and that was an era where really speed was the name of the game. You had the big ballparks, what they call, I guess, the cookie-cutter ballparks or the AstroTurf, and it was really tough to hit a lot of home runs during that era of the 80s. Do you miss that style of play when there was so much emphasis on getting that extra base or getting some big doubles and making the adjustment going from first to third on singles, things like that?
1: Well, it was very exciting and exciting for the fans to know that when you came to the ballpark, you knew you was going to see some excitement. Uh, And the concession stands were shut down when they knew when I got on base. So, you know, that's the kind of culture that Whitey Herzog um, developed. And we knew he knew what type of ballplayers he wanted to put in his lineup. Um, I miss it. I mean, there's not. Uh, Many games that I could go to and watch and say that I know this guy going to steal a base once he get on base. Not unless it's Billy Hamilton and D Gordon in the major leagues, but as 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 we know that when you're on offense, only sport in the world that when you're on offense and you don't have the ball is baseball. You know, so thinking that terms that when you get on base, you're on offense, not defense. So you try to uh, instill this in these kids' minds today that when you're on base, you're on offense. You have to. Read the ball out of pitcher's hand. No one anticipate the ball in the dirt. Uh, when there's a base hit, I go from first to third, and uh, and so those are things that I try to instruct. And when you have a good uh, ba- more games are won or loss on the bases than a lot of fans even realize, you know. So, but if you have a good ball club uh, that 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 take advantage of all the extra base hits, you know, by scoring from second and breaking up double plays, and uh, you, you go you're going to win a lot more ball. Championship teams win run the bases very well because you can look at The playoffs and the base running always is magnified. No matter what game you watch, we're doing the playoffs of the World Series. I guarantee you there's gonna be a couple of base running mistakes.
0: Absolutely, and you got to play in the big leagues from 1985, 1997. What are you most proud of when you look back at your entire body of work in the big leagues?
1: Where I came from here in Jacksonville. That's what makes me more proud than anything else is that, you know, you see all those guys over there, my sweet, they knew me since I was, you know, six, seven, eight years old. And and they know that the hard work that I did, how I competed every day at Rains and then when I went to Florida A&M and they knew that if anyone would make it, no one could ever outwork me. And so I knew that once I got with good coaches and good teammates that, you know sky was the limit for me and they they are so proud of me you know so that's the thing that 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 when I look at the major leagues is not that I got there and played it's just how the road that I took to get there Uh, because you got to understand when I left high school I, you know I came from an environment over here on the north side that you know <laughs> you know going to college wasn't, wasn't one of the options you know but my mother said that you know, smart guys don't starve. So you were smart enough to get into a college. And so once you go there, you know, you're going to at least have a degree. So, but while I, when I went there and went out for the football team, I made the football team because I worked harder than anybody else, you know? And then I went out for the baseball team and worked harder than anybody else. So, um, and Pete Rose told me something that, you know, I said, Pete Rose, how did you get 200 hits for 20 straight years? And we did an autograph session in 1985, and he said, after the season end, he take two weeks off, and then he went to work. start doing something baseball-related, whether it was lifting weights or running the bleachers or, or swinging a bat, you know, something. Started in November, and that's sort of unheard of. And the type of guy that I am, you know, I always worked out year-round. I mean, I still work out to this day, you know, every day, you know. So that was the, uh, my, my, my plan. You know, so that was my ticket to success of how hard I worked to achieve what I did.
0: And did you make Jacksonville your home in the off-seasons during your big league career? Or how often oh, have you made it back to this area no, over the years? No, I, I,
1: well, I laugh because I know in 1985 after I won the World Series and and and, and came home and, and and stayed with my mother and, and all those guys you see over there this week, they was at my door knocking on the door. <laughs> You know, let's go out and have a great time. You know, and uh, what well, I, I couldn't do that my, my, you know, for for a career if I want to let, sure. let that yeah. career <laughs> last. Cause uh, so no, I moved to St. Louis and after my third year in the league and um, and then I'm working out with Ozzy and Willie and McGee and and, and Tommy Hur every day. You know, up there Tito Landrum. So, um, uh, but I would come back here. We, we, it was funny that the, these guys here we they own. On, on Christmas Day and Thanksgiving Day, you always played a flag football game, you know. So that was one of the things that kept you motivated, or uh, kept those guys motivated. But I was motivated anyway. But that was a a, a highlight in our life that, and that lasted all the way for a very, very long. They all old, old now, but you <laughs> know, <laughs> they can't run like they used to. But uh, but I enjoy coming back here. You know, as you can see. Each one of those guys over there I love. I mean, I love them all to death. They all got a personal, you know, text from me, you know, that I want you here. You have time coming to your schedule. I mean, because, you know, no matter where I go, a part of them is always in, installing me. And, you know, I've, you know, I've played golf with Michael Jordan or Steph Curry and, you know, but it doesn't matter. They always ask where you're from, and, you know. And the interesting thing is about, you know, when you meet Michael Jordan, you know, he's the greatest basketball player ever. But when we met on the golf course and now you go to dinner and you start telling your stories of how you made it, you know, he got cut from his ninth grade basketball team. And, you know, the coach used to pick him up every morning because he believed in him and he worked on his left hand. He worked on his right hand. He he wasn't a great dribbler and he started dribbling more, you know, but he called it the breakfast club. So when he got to the Bulls, it was impl- embedded in his mind that he would work out every morning before shoot-around, and that was at 6 o'clock. And so I look at his success story of how he worked so hard, and even when he, he would tell me stories that when he was playing and doing practices, he would beat up certain players, you know, because they weren't guarding him so hard <laughs> enough, you know. And, and, and he was challenged them, and, and, and Phil Jackson would put him on the second team, and the losers had to run sprints. So he went up against Scottie Pippen all the time, you know, in practices. That's what made him, drove him, you know, every day, day in and out. And I think that, you know, when I left high school, I went to college and I graduated on a Thursday and I was in summer school that Monday. And it was two guys, Warren Sattler and and Donald Shockley. They invited me to go over to Florida State, which was 72 flights of stairs, and they put army boots on. Hmm. And they said, we're gonna run 10 up and down. And then after five, I threw up. And now the next day, I could have stopped and said, no, I don't want to do it anymore. But I challenged myself. I did that every day from June, July, and August. And the Ju- August 25th was the first day or two days of football practice. And you had to run four 40-yard dashes. And they recorded the best two times. After that long, grueling workout for three months. I ran the fastest time in camp. So I caught the eye right away off the bat. I ran a 4 And so the first game of the season was against Alabama State, and, and I touched the ball nine times. That was a the Sunday the next day doing film. The coach called me in the office and said, congratulations, you have a scholarship.
0: Very nice. So, hard work got uh, it done. Hard work got it done. Right. <laughs> you mentioned your hard work, your competitive desire. I'm curious about some big league guys you played with. Who were the most competitive teammates you have you had during your career? Oh,
1: I mean, when I was with the Cardinals, you know, you you, you couldn't tell, but Ozzy was a great, comp, you know, mm-hmm. com, competitor. I mean, you know, he, he you know, Ozzy had a over his locker was no off days for success, and you know, he was seven years older than me, and and you know how guys these days bitch about infield he would take infield every day every day every, he insisted to take infield no matter
0: how many gold gloves uh, not uh, he did it all the time
1: every day was right. you know was infield we had to take infield because of Ozzie. <laughs> We wanted to take infield every that was the game for him and with that in mind that instilled a lot of who we are you know because you know you get you had a chance to work on your, your your field crow hop and throw where you see a lot of guys now they don't get behind the ball on fly balls and they catch them with one hand you know so there's so many mechanical things that could go wrong but then and then they wonder why they don't make it you know if they don't do the little mechanics or work hard or take infield or, and, and that's one of the things that Ozzy taught us as as as, as a leader, as a Gold Glove guy. He set by examples.
0: That's excellent to hear. And hey, you mentioned uh, taking infield every day, and you got to play in bush Stadium in the '80s. Still had that turf. How hot would it get during the summertime in St. Louis, <laughs> <Just> <laughs> especially like day here? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
1: with, with, with humidity. Can yeah. you imagine? you know 95 with 95% of humidity well, on turf yeah did your and cleats ever melt or anything like that Steaming up from underneath you but you know what well, i loved it you loved it I, it made <laughs> me feel faster you know it made me feel electric i i i mean i i laughed because uh, the visiting team would come in and after 4 or 5 minutes they are dying over there from that heat <laughs> and but we had a we had a secret that we would come in after about twice a week or three times a week we had a cold tub and we would submerge into this cold tub and that rejuvenates you and bring your body back and you was fresh ready to go again you know so that was our secret to success so um little did they know what what we was doing so but we (laughs) we loved it that's outstanding we loved it we loved it
0: well what are you up to now you're now working with the San Francisco Giants as a special assistant there
1: San Francisco Giants as special assistants and it's been great. I mean, they're the first organization that allowed me to go in and and coach and teach and be myself and and and, and teach these kids the mental side of, of baseball uh, uh, and, and and really be hands-on with them. I mean, from the outfield to base running, to base stealing uh, to bunting. I mean, it's, it's 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 a lost art of, of the game of uh, because everybody always go out and they take the fundamentals as far as the pfp the first and third and the cutoff and relays but i introduced them to a fundamental of, of hit and run for as a base running fundamental and the kids love it because it's a baseball play and they're always looking for something new how to be coached how to get better you know so the giants allowed me to do that and i this is my first year there and i love it
0: so you were with them in spring training you've been to a lot of their minor league affiliates across the country
1: all across from Sacramento to San Jose to Richmond, yep. Uh, even Dominican, even Dominican over there. They, they they have some very talented ball players over there. So, and uh, I'm having so much fun this year coaching uh, more than I thought. I'm away from home a lot, but you know that goes along with the territory.
0: So you're getting to bounce around a little bit with the Giants. Do you see yourself maybe being uh, the hitting coach of a team or a manager of a team at some point?
1: I, well, you know, every every coach dream is to be a manager. Yeah. I think once you was a former player and you played as you know 15 years in the major leagues you figure that you have a rapport it's about communication and and and, and having a, uh, a personality how you can uh, help a kid once he go old for 30 you know that's the key to a manager how he can uh if he make an error how you can make him feel better if he strike out four times you know let him know it took to be okay you know so uh that's important as being a manager so i think i have those skills uh, and the other thing is that you know you have the respect you got a pedigree they know that you've done it and they're going to listen and you can tell the ones that want to get better because of those ones that look you in the eye and can't wait to get to the ballpark the next day
0: that's got to be exciting now the manager of the jumbo shrimp is randy ready i'm sure you got to see oh, yeah. him a lot during your career did you get a chance to catch up with him before the game at all
1: I didn't know he was the manager.
0: Oh, yeah, he's the manager. He told me a story earlier that he hit a home run at Bush Stadium in the upper deck, and you tried to climb the wall to try and come up, but he didn't like (laughs) that too much.
1: (laughs) I remember Randy already with the – he played many, many years with the uh, Padres. Padres,
0: yeah, Brewers. Yeah, Yeah, Padres. Phillies, I think, Expos, yeah. All right,
1: I have to make sure I say hi to him. He was a good player.
0: Is it fun to, when you get to go to different spots, like you mentioned your job with the Giants now, you can look in the dugout and a lot of the coaches, the guys you went up against, or teammates, it's got to be fun to reconnect with some of those guys.
1: Oh, yes. I mean, you know, when you a player and you played every day and you was there to witness that guy play and you respect his game, uh, because everybody that played, I always tried to learn something from another guy, you know, see what he was doing that, that I could duplicate, or add to my game. Uh, coming up as a kid, Willie Mays was my my idol, and um, uh, I couldn't, I mean, I, I, I remember the day I met Willie Mays, and um, it was, uh, you know, 1985, and and uh, the first thing he said, to me, he grabbed my glove, he said, well, um, how do you squeeze the glove, you know, and I'm squeezing all the fingers, he said, no, son, the only thing move is the thumb. <laughs> he never thought of that I way before, I no, never, yeah. yeah. he <laughs> said, because if you squeeze the glove, it closed the pocket if you just move the thumb the pocket stays open and the ball go in and 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 then what the why I can relate to that was cuz Ozzy, he can get a brand new glove out of the box and he can go play with it that day and once the glove start breaking in he get rid of it cuz he didn't want the glove to close his his job was just to stop the ball you know and get it out as fast as he can you know but that was uh, interesting it gave me my Uh, outfield lesson from Willie Mays you know someone
0: (laughs) none better than him well uh, we have really enjoyed catching up with you this is your bobblehead night you say you like the bobblehead how'd you feel about your first pitch
1: it was a strike yeah that's what it looked like from up here yeah (laughs) we can always tell up here well as long as I didn't bounce it (laughs) that's right never want to be like some of the
0: weird ones we've seen over the years as
1: long as I didn't bounce it uh there's no way i was gonna get up there on that mountain though i wasn't i would was just come down look <laughs> closer there i'd cheat a little bit
0: <laughs> well we've gone through a lot of your memories i did want to ask you one more thing about some uh, memories of baseball in jacksonville did you ever make it to wolfson park very much growing up and see uh, the jacksonville sons of that not park? as a kid I, yeah.
1: I, not as a kid i didn't but um i remember going um uh when um, the braves come to town uh, but uh when tina turner tina He's a, the He played for Kansas City, I believe. But he came from Scott Park. He was drafted. He went to Bethune-Cookman. And I remember going to see him play as he came through the minor leagues. And uh, I remember when we traded Willa McGee for uh, uh, Bobby Meacham. Bobby Meacham was with the Yankees. And I remember I came to see him play. But other than that, I didn't. Didn't come back. I wasn't invited, you know. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well,
0: how many uh, times have you been to the baseball grounds throughout the years?
1: I've been here. I was coaching about three years, four years ago with the White Sox. Oh, with the, so, so I, you saw the Barons. Brewer, yeah. the Barons, yeah? The Barons, yeah. The Barons. I came through, and it was a. I saw on the schedule they was coming to Jacksonville for five days, and and I came home and uh, <laughs> enjoyed the time here. I brought the family and everything then that time. So, but it's a you know great venue. I mean, you got a great crowd tonight, you know. So. Weather's great up until a you know, little the rain, rain today. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, we get it back going again.
0: So. No doubt, yeah. The tarps off. They look to get the field ready to go for the Bay Bears and the Jumbo Shrimp, three to one, the score in the bottom of the third inning. But Vince, we know we've got you've got a lot of friends here. You want to catch up with them once again, but just thank you again for joining us here on the radio. It's been a cool night with your bobblehead, the first pitch, and everything. And you've been a Jacksonville baseball legend, so we really appreciate you joining us today.
1: Uh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me, and hopefully, this won't be the last time you guys keep. Invite me back.
0: All right. We'd love (laughs) to see you again. That was Vince Coleman. Well, a fun conversation with Vince Coleman, a really passionate guy about baseball, and I hope there are some really good things in store for him in his baseball future coming up going to wrap up the podcast got some errands to run get ready for tonight's national championship game i hope everyone can enjoy it and it's kind of tough knowing that this is the last time that we have a college football game to look forward to for this season uh, college football baseball really my two favorite things i love college basketball as well but uh nothing like the rush of a college football game so we're definitely going to miss it and uh, it's been a terrific season that will come to a close tonight that's going to wrap up this podcast and again later in the week possibly some jaguars talk maybe some talk about alabama if the crimson tide can win a national championship that is to be determined but until next time play the waltz roy i remember Tennessee walls,
1: only you know how much I have lost. Yes, I lost my little darling the night that.